Hi guys, I am your host, Webster Marimbika, with me here to discuss colonial heritage. Rob is a Zimbabwean archaeologist, much a botanist and geologist. He has been involved in heritage work in one way or the other for nearly 35 years. Rob is currently an associate researcher at the Natural History Museum of Zimbabwe. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to, nice to be with you. Thank you. Uh, so, Rob, uh, what is your understanding of colonial heritage? Well, what rings well, a bell yeah, when we talk about colonial heritage? I mean, colonial heritage is obviously a highly controversial topic. Um, it, it, it covers many different facets, but let's simplify it and say that it, it probably deals with elements of our heritage over the last 150 years, let's say. Uh, that is elements to do with the advance of Anglo colonization. I mean, we could go back earlier and we can bring in the Portuguese. Okay. And, and then, you know, then we become increasingly uh, complicated in time depth. Yeah, I understand Europe. Uh, now, let's get to the part, uh, the most interesting part. How does it affect the current generation? Right, like I said, you in know, your own spectacles. Um, colonial heritage is, especially in the context of Zimbabwe, is quite controversial. I don't deny it's probably controversial elsewhere, but obviously it deals with the advent of European domination of the land of the, the area now in a colonial boundary called Zimbabwe. So basically it's the advent of Rhodesia, the whole formation of the Rhodesian state and the resistance to it. So when we talk about it, I know we're going to probably focus invariably because of the things that go through the press on the white element of this colonial history, the white element of this experience. But obviously there is the other element which needs to be brought together. And I would say hasn't in the past and still hasn't yet been resolved. Okay, well, uh, what is this when element? We talk about colonial heritage in Zimbabwe, and I'm obviously speaking particularly from a museum's background. Um, we're talking about a set of monuments, a set of statues, a, a narrative that had to do with the advance of colonization. Uh, so it's taken from a one-sided perspective of the European advancement. So it's, it's a generally a Western capitalist-oriented intrusion into the state. And so, especially during the Rhodesian era, this was celebrated because obviously the whole heritage issue is tied up with nation building and identity of individuals. So certain things were selected to commemorate the advancement of the colonial process. So we might be picking on, let's say, the places where the pioneer column came through. There might be a memorial or we might erect statues to certain colonial uh, individuals like Rhodes or Coughlin uh, and have those at certain key points in the cities. 
Um, then other things with colonial sort of history, forts that are tied up with the 1896 uprisings, be they the Chimurenga in uh, Mashona, portions of Mashona land or the Mvukela um, in the uh, sort of central portion of Matabili land. So you get the selection of things to celebrate this okay. tradition or even graves. I mean, obviously, Maledizimu with the burial of Rhodes and others up there is part of that colonial narrative. Okay, so we need a new well, way to reinterpret the I mean, heritage. Different ways and, and I mean, this is currently very, um, very much being discussed across the world with particularly the, the Black Lives Movement. Um, and uh, do you, the options are, 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 are obvious. Either you can remove it entirely um, and the removal allows sort of like cleaning the slate so creating a reinventing a new landscape on which a new narrative can be built and that is um a very and i'm sorry i believe that's a fairly um emotive short-term way of doing it because yes you can suddenly dump a statue into uh, uh into a pond but does that ever really deal with the issues that that individual created in the past so the, the the hurt of slavery um and you know once you no. take the statue away and i'm now quoting actually something that occurred in the sunday uh, newspaper here in bulawayo a couple of years ago when they were discussing the removal of Rhodes statue in cape town and i remember a prominent journalist saying the the removal of Rhodes's statue here in bulawayo in 1980 it, it, it had a, a major function, it was an important event, but it also effectively removed a element which the next generation could see and therefore part of the narrative. So in a sense, what he was trying to say is remove some things, your own national, black nationalist narrative can actually lose out. So... I'm very much in the opinion that things like this okay. shouldn't necessarily be removed. They can be relocated or the context in which it occurs, the bigger area can be reinterpreted and represented. Yeah, I, I, I understand you, Rob, and I'm with you because we cannot uh, throw a statue into the water or into the lake and then yeah, think that correct. it goes away with the history. It actually takes uh, it. It strips off that that right of the future generations Correct. to and know what was happening. A, a big issue, and then once one starts so, removing one thing, where does one stop? Now I'm speaking from Matabili land, and we and I'm not going to enter into the politics, but you can imagine there'll be some in the uh, the the Matabili land nationalist movement. Who would say, well, when do we stop stripping away? When is when are um, Kalunga monuments no longer relevant? Or when Kalunga might say, when are Indabeli monuments no longer relevant? So it's not simply the colonial issue. Once one starts selecting yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 
altering the landscape, who has the right to determine that narrative and where does it stop? That's really a big question, Rob, because uh, Thank you. I understand where you're coming from. So, you know, yeah, please go ahead. What are some of the major challenges that the Zimbabwean heritage has been facing well, generally? I mean, it, it isn't it isn't only colonial heritage, uh, but I mean, our biggest problem is funding, and 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 possibly possibly an interpretation of what constitutes heritage is something that we need to understand and consider. Um, a lot of what is prescribed as heritage are physical things like ruins, rock paintings, forts, occasional graves, um, certainly um, war graves, um, the sort of hero's acres. So those are all prescribed, but very often I'm wondering whether heritage in the physical isn't necessarily always valued here in African society. Now, just hear me out on this one. Um, I'm wondering whether heritage isn't actually more to do okay. with memory and the speaking and the relating of the past, um, as opposed to this very much Western idea of picking up bits and putting them in dusty drawers in museums. Um, and this is a debate that we need to, to get into. And I know things like UNESCO, etc., have certainly transformed over the last 30 years with an increasing sort of non-Western perspective coming into that body. So funding is an issue and, 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 and commitment is an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, uh, you know, our museums is, um, it, gets, it has been flopped around between ministries and our national archives um, is a similar situation. It's another heritage body. Um, and they're usually the, the sort of forgotten the forgotten departments in those ministries. Um, they are like, like at present, National Museums is in Ministry of Home Affairs. And you can well understand that there are other elements in that ministry who call the shots and get funding as a priority. You know, we are museums and archives are sort of forgotten at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, Rob, you are an associate researcher at the Natural History Museum of Zimbabwe, correct, right? Correct. It simply means I assist them when called I upon. I mean... I'm not employed. Okay. Yeah. But how then... Uh, maybe you have a better understanding of how they operate with an act that was drafted long back and is not being revised. Oh, no, I mean, yeah. Oh, that no, doesn't... No, I, I, sum up I agree. Balance. The act is... Oh, gosh, I'm trying to... I know the name of the act. I just can't even remember the date. It's so long ago. I mean, I was certainly, I think I was still at junior school at that time. Um, the act has been... The, the, the National the Museums and Monuments. Uh, 2515. Um, it was act drafted many years ago um, because originally what happened in this country, there were actually two, uh, two heritage bodies. There was the Monuments Commission and there was the museums and they operated differently. 
In fact, if you go to our neighbor, you'll actually find okay. that that system still operates, that they're separate. And then they combined the two together and they had this act. Now, you are correct that they, they, we're still running by that old act, but it has been redrafted. And um, I have been part of that process and was asked to comment. And um, the, the issue has been primarily because in the since that process was initiated, um, our museums has been bounced from ministry to ministry. I mean, there was uh, even a short while when there was a heritage ministry. And, you know, this doesn't help by not having sort of clarity as to who the, which ministry do you, do you exist in and, and who do you report to? So it is there. I know it has been set forward and it's come back. I mean, there, there were issues that needed to be clarified according to, to, to the, the state lawyers themselves. I mean, so it is being done. I just wish they would uh, expedite the process. Okay. You were about to say something before I, I intervened. What was it? asking me to remember, forget things of what I'm saying. But, you know, I am, <laughs> yeah, okay, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the idea of public education. So, okay, so I, yes, I'm a professional archaeologist, but I spent most of my life in education. Um, and my biggest interest is trying to take ideas from museums and, and, and the ivory towers of the universities and bring them to the general public. It is the public's right to have it. Um, okay. Unfortunately, sometimes I'm afraid academia forgets that and either writes in a manner which is impossible for the layman to read, or, and this is a particular problem in Zimbabwe, that's they very true. Publish overseas, outside. I know why it's done because it's all to do with your CV and there's ranking as to which journals you publish in. But the average Zimbabwean does not have access to heritage literature, which is why your channel is particularly important and why I'm happy to support this sort of initiative. Um, I have published sure. various small That's booklets. Very on a private basis, um, trying to cover heritage either of different parts of the country or various topics. I mean, I've just finished one um, on the, um, the rock art of Zimbabwe as a whole. It's only a simple text. It's not supposed to be an academic text, which is what I've been criticized for by the academics. I never intended to write for them. Um, and we need to get out of the ivory tower. And... Um, that is my big issue. Okay. Let's generally get the public involved. And once the public is involved and under, or see things and start going to see, let's say, um, encouraged to go and see, let's say, Maladizimu, that is where Rhodes is buried, or to Entembani, where King yeah. Mzilakazi is buried. Once they start going there, we need to present the okay. materials which are easy to understand and present different aspects. Um, we don't want to, we don't want to provide a glorified history of Cecil Rhodes. Um, we need to present a balanced picture so people can come away with their own opinions because all individuals, because we're individuals, we come from different perspectives, different cultures, different ages, different politics. 
but let's present something to give a bigger picture. Now, a really good example of this, I feel, is the recent development that we've had at Pupu. Now, Pupu is on the Shangoni River, um, north northeast of Lupani, and that is where okay. Alan Wilson and his men were chasing King uh, King Lobangula, and they were killed on the north bank of the river. So it's a critical story in the Rhodesian narrative in terms of Rhodesian identity and, and, and nationalism. Now, that was marked by a very simple concrete obelisk with a plaque, which unfortunately was uh, lifted a few years ago and is sitting in somebody's house in Cape Town, I found. But now, uh, obviously, the, that was only really in commemorating Alan Wilson. Now, hold on, hold on. This is a battle in which many people were killed. You can't have one side killing themselves. Uh, there were other people. Yes, yes. And those people, yes. those, those Indabeli people those, from the regiments that, that were protecting the king, they were killed as well. They were not commemorated previously in the Rhodesian monument narrative. So what has happened okay. is the has cr created... Now, they could have simply knocked down the, the, the old um, white memorial, and, but they didn't. What they did is they built like an arc of walls around it on which there are painted depictions of the battle scene. So now you've got, and there are this bits of text, not too much, not necessarily the best text, I think, but it's there and it provides visitors both perspectives. And you can come away with your own opinion. And people probably go there with their own opinion anyway. So, but we must provide both sides. I understand you, Rob. So that's a, a narrative that you think is the best way to... Uh, to go about it, yeah, you know, that provides both sides of the story. Yes, I do, I do. So that's one one element that I'm very much into. So, I mean, we could even push this further back and call, go back to something like Old Bulawayo, or even further back to Great Zimbabwe. There are multiple narratives that should be presented on these sort of sites, and we need to provide people the easy materials to allow them to come away and understand or not understand. Well, you know, that's, that's the way it is. So that's one of my big, my big sort of interests and focus. The other is very much a, an element of, and I'm seeing this at, at the moment, um, there is a growing interest um, by our, let's say, the, the, the next generations after the liberation struggle. Uh, we're talking about the okay. corn freeze. There is yes. interest in the country. Um, okay, so during the Rhodesian era, we had a very set narrative. Uh, it's, it wasn't monolithic, as I'm afraid some people indicate. There are various funny things that there were other subgroups that had different opinions. But with independence, that sort of Rhodesian history narrative was chopped out quickly of, out of the education program, for good reason, because we we're talking about nation building out of a war. Okay. The, the net result is that the, a lot of the 
next generation, probably even almost the next one down, the born freeze, are now getting to this sort of 30, 40 year old age, which is an age where people start, you know, their children are nearly out of school. They're beginning to think, well, what is this built environment I'm living in? They're seeing old buildings. Um, they are becoming aware of or wanting to to go on holidays to things like Victoria Falls. And there they see the Statue of Livingston. Or they um, might go, as I say, to Maladzimu, and there's Rhodes' grave. Or, and um, my big thing that I feel is, because you then have one side saying, oh, they need to be destroyed, etc. But you know what? I think for Black Zimbabweans, it is high time that these people, we, we need to almost take over those values. So those old buildings that let's say you see in Harari, or, or, or okay, yes. I've just been in Gweru, there's some lovely old buildings in Gweru. Um, yes, the, the hotel. The hotel, but and the stock exchange, the, and the magistrate's the court, and the clock that sits in the middle of the road. Yeah. Um, we need to now say that isn't any longer white man's heritage. White man's power and heritage is gone. This is our space. This is our area. We need to take it over and say, okay, this is it. This is the clock. It was put up to commemorate the donkeys that came up with the, the trick. Um, but now let's let's it's part of our landscape. It is now ours. It doesn't belong to somebody now living, you know, in the grave or in Australia. And okay. celebrate your own your your own setting. Um, there are things people who went into who uh, what have happened in the area of the clock in Gweru. Um, was there any um, nationalist trade unionist leader who, who was working in the area? What I'm saying is take that narrative and, and, and ab absorb it into your own setting. It's to, to, you know, I just get very annoyed with this idea of saying, let's just knock it down and let's put up a whole lot of modern buildings. And actually, those modern buildings are probably okay. styled a la London Docklands or or Shanghai, and that's not our culture anyway. Yes. So instead of putting these buildings down, let's find a way, the best way to interpret it to our interest and to the general interest of the Zimbabwean community. That is what you're saying. Correct, correct. And I'm not talking about saying, okay. let's keep them for tourists. Yes, people. some people can make money out of that. I'm saying, this is your built environment. This is Mutari. Uh, it's it's got this lovely old Methodist church, that very odd-looking Methodist church. It's tatty at the moment, and it's on the main street. And if I lived in Mutari, I would be fuming just to realize that that this element of the whole city has been has built and had all its internal politics while this building was standing. I mean, it, it's it's seen everything. So we need to appreciate it and, okay. and, and take it as your own. Okay, that that seems like a very good approach to uh, heritage. Yeah, controversial, I know. Uh, yeah, 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 it's very controversial as well. Uh, now, uh, moving on, Rob, 
what are the benefits that you think stand at the end of a successful reinterpretation of this heritage? The benefits, the benefits of reinterpreting it, uh, ensures that the the narrative is not manipulated by any one group and okay. that you allow people to overcome to to incorporate it into their own culture so that we must stop this them us um mine theirs sort of divisions and only that way will zimbabwean community reform reweld itself from the fragmentation fragmented nature that we we seem to certainly be experiencing at the moment okay uh just uh thank you rob uh but one more thing though and i feel you and me uh are in line and we share the same sentiments on this one what do you think should be done to reach everyone in terms of heritage literacy how best can we reach everyone because okay. i'm a university student i'm a university student and i'll tell you this we're only 12 in our class we're the ones that are doing these uh bs in in archaeology 12 people and the next class is about six people mm. it yeah. just shows me that very few people know about archaeology or cultural heritage or museums in zimbabwe how best can we reach them well obviously i'm old so i'm i'm very much stuck stuck in the old ideas of paper and booklets and certainly the this country used to have a very good museum service in terms of publishing little booklets and bits of literally one sheet of paper when you got to nalatali um a monument that is a stone ruin near um sort of nearish gweru they gave you a piece of paper that gave you a bit of background and information but today now obviously we've moved into a digital world a world where things the media through this sort of podcast through facebook um through websites can actually present it i am still of the opinion that we should see a lot more non political articles being appearing in things like the herald the chronicle uh, and you know the national newspapers to so that yes i know i accept that there are some uh, authors that do that and i cut them out on most weekends and stick them in a big file um but i'm afraid those newspapers have such a slow circulation and a very cynical audience if i can put it that way so i think a lot more publications okay. and a lot more electronic discussions and and showing people and giving people um the option to discuss heritage and not just the main things like the great zimbabwe's um the dombashara rock paintings the rhodes grave but go off into the lesser known parts of the country um There are some fantastic rock painting sites right up in northern part of Motoko. They are not well known by the general population. Yes, the local community know and a couple of academics like myself might turn up once every few years, but surely these sort of things yeah. should be being promoted 
And, you know, I don't see why places like Matoko couldn't almost create a campfire project using their heritage. But that now gets me onto very other, you know, complicated stories. What about one of the things that I just been thinking about, you know, the way that uh, we pay attention to the bigger sites, uh, those that are enlisted on the World Heritage List, and the way that we address these uh, unpopular sites is very different. And if you say or mention something like Impali Rock Art Site or Insukamini Ruins, <laughs> people would be shocked that there are even heritage sites. Yeah, exactly. But they do exist. Yeah. But no one is paying attention to them. We just keep on focusing on Great Zimbabwe. Correct. Uh, Kami, Matopo. We yep. need to change that. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, Rob, uh, it was nice talking to you. Nice talking Thank to you. Thank you so nice much. Thank you to your audience. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, I'll make sure that you get the link to this podcast once it's done. Fantastic. Thank you, sir.